everybody has their own opinions and stuff. And some key examples, Coinbase and Carvana, both of them, the Coinbase got sued by the SEC for being an unregistered broker dealer. That's a big deal. A good example could be just an earnings of a company that's releasing earnings and says, hey, look at this. Our earnings numbers are shrinking, but then the stock goes up because I know this has been happening even recently too. But in reality, like you said, you actually you actually have to do the due diligence to figure out what's underneath this company. Mm-hmm. What are the layers of this company? Where's the revenue coming from for this company? Um, to really figure out, um, you know, if that's if that's justified, I guess would, would be a way to put it. So yep. JP Morgan Chase reported a 67% jump in earnings. Remember, we talked about this last week. Um, that sounds pretty good to me. Yep. Guess how much stock was up during the day? It wasn't. Less than a percent. Less than a percent. Less than a percent. You'd say, oh, 67%. It should be up. It should be up a lot. That's a yeah. lot of that's a lot of earnings growth that uh that it was up, right? Yep. Microsoft's basically integrated AI features into the entire Office platform. Everything. Outlook, Excel, Word, like pick PowerPoint, I suppose, you know, pick your product. Mm-hmm. And this is Copilot's integrated into all those. Layer by layer, day by day. The world, our markets, and your life unfolds. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and scaling your financial life. Tom Statham, Jacob Radke, Dan Schuster, and Noah Jezdal work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom, Jacob, Dan, Noah, or any podcast guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fiel Capital. Welcome, everybody, to the Laminate Money Podcast, episode 42. We have a unique setup here today because Tom is busy studying for an exam, and he is out of the office. So it's just going to be you and I and Dan. This is Laminate Money Duo Edition, right? Duo Edition. We just got two of us today. It'll be good, though. And episode 42, I was just thinking about this, we're over have we talked about this already but we're over like a year into this podcast aren't we or close to it no 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 well i guess technically technically yes because we recorded practice episodes prior and we probably did record 10 practice episodes yeah 10 weeks from now we'll have officially crested the 52 week mark yep and and if you think about what 10 weeks from now is that's like october yeah yep that would have been the bottom of the market last year maybe that Isn't is that crazy. Kind of crazy. We started the Lamb and Money podcast pretty much on the week of the the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And I think the title of the first episode was Bullish Behaviors. <laughs> I think that's actually what it was called. Or no, maybe it was Bearish Behaviors. It was d- something behaviors. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I can I can recall that. Yeah. Well, maybe the uh maybe the one year anniversary will be the new highs. You know, I'm I'm not saying anything, <laughs> but like the way that the way that this year is going don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. I don't know. There's, there's. I mean, we have to get through earnings season first. So let's just, yeah. let's just put that one on the, yeah, on the back burner until we yeah. get through to see what actually happens. Well, anyway, on yes. this week's episode, we will be talking about the fallacy of good or bad. We'll be talking about all of these AI. Got to give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of AI stuff to drop this week. Yep. Um, speculative stocks, their performance, the VIX, because. There's a crazy stat on that. I'm excited for the the VIX talk. Yeah. An interesting article about cash yields that I thought was very cool. Netflix and advertising. Yes. This is going to be a killer episode. We really do have like a, a host of interesting topics, all of which kind of tie into each other. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm particularly excited for the VIX. And well, the, I'm, uh, I'm particularly excited to hear your take on things. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into it then. Okay. Start us off. So the fallacy, the investment fallacy, excuse me, of good or bad. Yeah. All right. So what's what's the difference between good and bad? Is better and worse, right? Mm-hmm. Inside of the markets, better or worse is what actually matters. And more so than not, I just kind of want to go through some practical cases that we've already seen this year, just to give yep. you like actual real world world examples of how this plays out. So like, I'm just going to start with this. Integral to how the market performs, you have to understand what has already been priced in. If you want to know what's going to happen, you have to know what's already happened and what's been priced into the market, right? So that had been the bad news that came up before 
whether it was good or better or worse, right? Yep. Yep. And now you have to figure out what's being priced in in the future. Is it good, bad? And do you think that the actual outcome will be better or worse? This is this is all yep. psychology yep. and market yep. participant like behavior. That's all what this is, right? Yep. Everybody has their own opinions and stuff. And some key examples, Coinbase and Carvana, both of them, the Coinbase got sued by the SEC for being an unregistered broker dealer. That's a big deal. Like yep. They could get shut down for that and the stock would be worthless. Yep. Turns out now that maybe some SEC proceedings, I'm not exactly sure where they're at on things. I don't really follow this that closely, but the stock is up 100% since that, since that court ruling or the SEC came after them. Yeah. Carvana, up 1,000%. <laughs> but that doesn't super surprise me because everybody had priced in that the stock was completely bankrupt. Like it zero. was like, yeah, like the stock was going to zero is what pe- people were yeah. pricing in essentially. These are bad examples though, because both of them are still down like 70% from their all time highs. So yeah, kind of terrible examples. But, but I, I, I mean, they're not, they're not irrelevant examples because I think what, you, well, what you're getting at here is it's like you have Carvana up one thousand percent since everybody thought that the company was going bankrupt and the stock is going to zero. Mm-hmm. So, relative to where we were, relative to where Carvana was at, we are now 1,000% higher than that, right? That's a 10 times, that would be like a 10 times return on your investment in that, which is not to say anyone should buy Carvana, right? Or not to say that it's good, but uh, right, relative though, good, bad, better, worse. Right, It's, it's so much better or worse because the Carvana earnings report is still bad. Yes. Like flatly, it's just bad. Yep. But it was much better than expected because yep. guess what? They came out and they said they weren't bankrupt. Yep. Imagine yep. that. That's much yep. better than than you know being bankrupt. Anything is better than being yeah. bankrupt for a, a company. A different good example might be like, and I'm actually going to ask you to share an example if you know on this. A good example could be just an earnings of a company that's releasing earnings and says, hey, look at this. Our earnings numbers are shrinking, but then mm. the stock goes up because I know this has been happening even recently too. And we're just entering earnings season uh, for those of you who uh, maybe don't know that. Um you got an example there? I have the perfect example. So Charles Schwab, if you remember back to the Silicon Valley Bank crisis, they were in the bunch, not necessarily because they were just this failing regional bank. Charles Schwab is certainly not that, but because they had a high amount of cash deposits that were uninsured. They have different cash in- deposits and they're not. it's not the entire business, but it's kind of bunched in with those regional bank like type of companies, right? It was just a different scenario. And it dropped like, I mean, it was probably down like 30% or 40% or something from its all-time high or from when it was around Silicon Valley bank time, right? They just reported earnings last week and earnings had fallen 40%. But everybody thought that it was going to be absolutely terrible. Everybody thought it was going to be way worse than that. And when it came out, it was like, oh, it's only 40%. This is great. Charles Schwab was up 12% during that day. Yeah, I remember that day too. And I remember I literally, I leaned across the desk and was like, Jacob, I was like, Schwab's up 12%. Why is Schwab up 12%? He's like, oh, their earnings are down 40%. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, there you go. Uh, so. And so like, if you're a speculator in the market, you look and you say, oh, Charles, so this, this would have been like the whole outcome of how things work, right? If you were thinking like, I'm an investor, how can I make money? Put yourself in that mindset. Mm-hmm. It's, March 8th and Silicon Valley Bank just collapsed and Charles Schwab is down 25% or something. And if you do all of the fundamental research and all of this stuff, like you have to do a lot of research and digging around on this stuff because it can go really bad for you really quickly. Yep. But maybe maybe you were speculating, you uncovered and you said like, hey, you know, Schwab's deposits are safe. Like they're not, they're not a flight risk. Like child, and, and the business has much more to it than just bank deposits. Yep. You said, yep. okay, well, you know, the market just, the market only cares. It's a kind of freaking out over this whole bank deposit thing, but Charles Schwab shouldn't be bunched in with that. So the speculator would have said, I'll buy Charles Schwab. Yep. Right? Yep. I'll, I'll hold the risk. And I mean, for literally uh, three to four months, he would have felt like he was wrong. Yes. Like, so it yes. continued just come down, maybe modestly come up, but he would have been pretty much flat until earnings day when he was proven right. Yes, yes. Because it was better than expected. Yes, and I think it's interesting. This is a good example and just like market behavior itself too because, you know, it it took, like you said, it, there's three months there where the 
price that he probably valued that he, you know, it's like, I don't know, the speculator. Yeah, the speculator. The price that a speculator or the speculator could have valued the company at was not at all reflective of the price that was actually trading in the market. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, this happens, I, I would say, quite, quite frequently. You know, you st- when we started hearing about the bank failures, I think immediately everybody thinks, Oh my goodness, sell a bank failure. Sell all the banks. <laughs> Charles Schwab, that's a bank. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a bank. JP Morgan, that's a bank. <gasps> oh, you know, you think about all these different banks, we can easily lump them into a single category, but in reality, like you said, you actually you actually have to do the due diligence to figure out what's underneath this company? Mm-hmm. What are the layers of this company? Where's the revenue coming from for this company? Um, to really figure out, um, you know, if that's if that's justified, I guess would, would be a way to put it. So yeah, yeah fascinating though, these relative prices and uh, the movements, it's, it's better than expected earnings losses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Well, let's take it the, let's take it the other side now. Yep. JP Morgan, we're just going to stick with the banks because the banks are the ones that reported all their earnings last week. Yep. That was that was the start. JP Morgan Chase reported a 67% jump in earnings. Remember, we talked about this last week. Um, that sounds pretty good to me. Yep. That's how much stock was up during the day. It wasn't. Less than a percent. Less than a percent. Less than a percent. You'd say, oh, 67%, it should be up. It should be up a lot. That's a yeah. lot of that's a lot of earnings growth that uh that it was up, right? Yep. Well, no, because interest rates are four point five percent and JP Morgan's savings rate, if you actually want to hold a savings account, is probably half a percent, if that. Yep. And so they're they're winning on that four percent spread. So they're yep. just gonna borrow your cash, lend it out. So it makes sense that JP Morgan's earnings would yep. be higher and yep. namely 67% higher yep. because there's over a 67% increase in interest rates, yep. right? So everybody knew that JP Morgan's earnings were going to be higher. Yep. So they didn't care whether it was 67%. It had already been priced in and yep. it was no better or worse once it actually came out. Yep, yep. Have you ever been on a trip where <laughs> as this, this is like how this plays out in real life. I've totally seen this happen in my own life too, where you're like planning to go on a trip and you are stoked because you're going to go somewhere or you're going to go see some specific attraction Yeah, and you're just jacked for it. You get to the attraction and it is so underwhelming and you're like, wow, that was really disappointing. That was, that was like, that was bad. That was just plain bad. But like you actually took the effort still like go on a trip, go to that place, like see that thing, but your expectations weren't met and you were underwhelmed by it. That to me seems like the real life uh, equivalent of what you see happen in the markets is it's like, oh, this is going to be so good. It's like, yeah. ah, actually that wasn't that great. And my expectations were let down. So the stock price comes down. I mean, yeah, that's just, uh, that's, that's just, just me relating this I mean, to real life things. That I hope that's a perfect example though. I mean, to actually relate it to your personal life. Like yeah. if you are just not interested in carved canyons, then you probably aren't interested in the Grand Canyon, right? Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't know that until the first time that you got your expectations up and went to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, yep, totally. Although I've heard the Grand Canyon is quite grand. Yeah, I, 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 I don't <laughs> think the Grand Canyon's one that's going to let, let me down. I probably shouldn't have put that in the same breath, but so, here I am. Someone, if someone wants to prove Jacob right, go ahead and send us, send us an email. <laughs> and this also applies to the broad market too, right? Yeah. Like it's not just single companies, but I mean, because single companies make up the entire market, but everything will trade differently inside of a different economic environment Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. business environment or just technical environment, whatever. Everything is going to perform differently. Yep. And so like, if you understand what's being priced in and like the perfect example, I remember being in COVID like in 2020 and I remember every Thursday the the files for like unemployment claims. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And almost every Thursday, I feel like they were better than expected every yeah. single Thursday yep. because then the market would be up 3%. I just remember those days, week after week after week of better than expected. Yep. Now we've had that with inflation. I mean, we've had month after month after month of better than expected inflation. Yep. Um, even even the employment, you know, stuff like that. Yep. Now, sometimes you get a little wonky with that because everybody, if everybody expects to be on the other side of the boat, Right. And you're on the wrong side of the boat. That's not great. If yep. you're expecting and you're on the wrong side of the expect ex- expectations boat, yep. then you're also going to be wrong. Yep. So it's a really yep. fine line of have to really understand what's going on in the yep. world 100%. and what's being priced into it to be right. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I think we've covered that. I'd say so. <laughs> so now let's get to the, let's get to what the people want. Uh, you know, AI is just give one of those them AI. Things. 
one of those things that I think it's kind of just, it's, I don't even think I should say that. It's one of those things that has taken the world by storm. I yes. don't even, I, I can't even say I think that it is that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I suppose I was alive during the, uh, <laughs> I was alive during the internet craze, you know, when the yeah. internet was blown up, but I was very young. I was so also I, alive. I no, I wasn't. Ooh, that, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> but anyways, I, I think we can almost equate what's happening with AI to some of the internet craze. Definitely. Because the internet was such a, it was a, a massive shift for the world on a global, um, on an economic scale, on a commerce scale, on a communication scale. I mean, even just the development of email, which we don't think is that like we don't think of email as that like innovative today. I think like yeah. oh yeah, it's send that, an email, it's sure like whatever. That's that's really dated. Yeah, yeah. I'll, let me send a text message. But holy smokes, I mean, you had to send postage, like letters and Morse code. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> so not that. How dated. are you gonna get? How are you gonna get communication? So even the advent of email was huge. AI to me feels like a shift like that as well. Definitely, yeah. And so the new news with AI. Yep is coming out of three of the largest companies, Apple, Microsoft, and Meta. All in the same week, they all dropped this news. So Microsoft popped new all-time highs. I don't know what day this was, maybe Tuesday. Yep. Oh, for reference, we're recording this on Friday. Yep. Um, so last Tuesday, if you're listening on next Wednesday, it was last Tuesday, Microsoft said, we're going to charge $30 per month for our AI co-pilot. Right. And I think that I, I, this is my understanding and I'm not really sure. I was asking Bing AI actually about it. So I feel like that's the most credible source because that's already Microsoft's. Mm -hmm. But I got the understanding or I got the impression anyway, that maybe this was going to be like rolled out and you would have access to it for a month. And then it would start billing you on your already existing office 365, sure. like subscription sure. or license. I'm not exactly sure. So in that in that situation, there wouldn't be a leg between you needed to actually go in and like sign up for this. They just give it to you and then they yeah. start billing you for it. Right. Okay. I, th I think that there might be something like that. Now, even if that's not the case, yep. how many people are just going to buy it anyway? A huge number. And even if, it, even if it is the case, how many people are just instantly going to turn it off? Yep. Like it's it, either direction, it doesn't really matter. It's a kind of a an interesting way to get a bunch of network effects really fast because yep. if you have all of these people that are like, I need to get Copilot right now, yep. right? Yep. And they get it for free for a month or even people that don't want Copilot and they yep. use it for a month for free and then we realize, wow, this was actually really helpful for me doing my Excel spreadsheet work. Yep, right? yep, yep. And if, if you don't know what Copilot is, Copilot is going to be Microsoft's basically integrated AI features into the entire Office platform. Everything. Outlook, Excel, Word, like to pick PowerPoint, I suppose, you know, pick your product. Mm -hmm. And this is Copilot's integrated into all those. And then I think it's also supposed, supposed to like help you manage your time or something. It's supposed to give you, it's supposed to generate these reports and, and stuff to help you better manage your time or help you better use it more effectively, stuff like that. I think there's some sort of that application to it okay. too. It's one of those things where it's like, this is, this is like an actual business, real business use case. This mm -hmm. isn't just like content mm -hmm. creation or legal writing or stuff like that. This is like, you use this in Word or you yep. use this to yep. write email email responses to other people emailing you that remembers yep. the whole conversation, yep. can disseminate it. Maybe this is something where you integrate it right into your Dynamics, which is Microsoft CRM, from your email where it communicates and writes notes from whatever, from yeah. emails, yeah. it writes a note and says like, hey, this person wanted to do this or automated stuff. This is this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like adoption is going to be huge. Kind of like you said, regardless of how this really pans out, I feel like the adoption is going to be big because even think about Think about employers that provide the Office 365 platform and the Microsoft products to their employees. Yeah. It's like employers want efficiency, like the, the executives and the directors of the companies, they want efficiency, they want productivity. Anything they can do to boost that is going to be a huge tailwind to the company. Right. And they're not just going to want to have like, well, maybe we should have our special director of marketing whose emphasis is on integrating AI into our mm -hmm. marketing flows to use AI, they're going to say, oh, we can integrate this across the board and every employee of our organization can use AI to help them do their jobs better, faster, smoother, more efficiently, create more um, productive outputs. Yeah. So I think I do think there's an extremely strong case here for Microsoft to get 
I, I mean, this could be a massive source of revenue. Absolutely. My goodness. And so on that, Microsoft just started charging. Meta just released their free commercial AI called Llama 2. I heard that. Yep. And I didn't even, I, I didn't know that. I heard the Meta, the Meta release and I heard free. I was and like, commercial. Wow. So Meta is allowing businesses to use this for like free. Wow. And it's like, it's one of the most advanced AIs I mean, I guess any of the big tech companies is going to have an advanced AI. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. How how does Llama like how does Llama integrate into a company? I'm not exactly sure because it hasn't been. You have to actually apply for access. I think you actually need developers to sure. use it in some sense. It's not like it's not like a ChatGPT interface where you just go there and type something out. Yep. I did see something, and it was it was like perplexity. I think perplexity AI has like a chatbot okay. that uses the Llama model. So like you can check that out if you just go to uh, perplexity.ai sure. or something. Sure. And I think you can check out the Llama 2 model. But open source, so companies can just develop on it. Yeah. If they don't want to pay the $30 a month per or per license or per subscription, per employee, yep. to get yep. Microsoft's AI, they can maybe just build and hire their own developers to do something very similar. Yeah, yeah. do it internally. Gosh, yeah, and it, I wonder how long it'll take before Google does this with Docs and Word and... That yeah. sort of stuff. I think they're already trying to. I think that was at the last thing that uh, where um, Sundar Pakai, um, I think he announced some of that with with Gmail. Wow. And then the last one was Apple. And yep. remember last week when I said there's tiny little section of the CNBC article that said um, Apple was integrating a transformer technology into iMessage autocorrect. Yes. Then this is the big one because I literally rem- like. I mean, we were on the podcast together last week. Yeah. And when you said that too, I thought. Oh, you know, I didn't even really think about that. Yeah. No one's no one's heard anything about Apple yet. Yep. And then they then they drop Apple GPT and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my goodness. Well, that got so stale so fast." Yeah. Um, but that's that was the next one and there's not really that much, you know, it's it's still kind of quiet. Nobody really knows what it is. Yeah. All I hope is that they integrate it with Siri because Siri is garbage. Yeah. You can't ask Siri anything. I've had a similar experience. I also just recently, I had a Google phone for six or seven years. I just switched back to iPhone about six months ago. So I'm part of the, blue, the blue club again, or the blue message club. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I got I to say, I do love iMessages. But the switch from even Google's virtual assistant to, or smart assistant to the Siri assistant, Siri is in my opinion, extremely subpar mm-hmm. compared to even what Google could do. Yeah, Google's IoT is much better. Yeah, yep, the integrations, the connectivity, and extremely, again, it's just extremely open-ended. Like, mm-hmm. it's uh, not open source, but there's it's so easy to integrate so many things. Yeah. It just gave good answers, too. I felt like mm-hmm. I'd ask it questions all the time. We have one by our bed, and like I still ask it questions. gives me great answers. Siri is hit or miss. I'm I'm afraid because we're saying Siri so much that all of a sudden our phones are going to start lighting up. But, um, <laughs> I, t- I actually turned it off on my phone. So. Oh, because <laughs> you instantly knew like, oh boy, Jacob's going to bring this up. Oh, no, no, no. I just never have it on. Oh, oh, well, look at you. Anyway, yeah. I hope that they, I hope that they improve that because yes. could you imagine every single time I ask Siri like about something to look up, it always just says, I can help you if you ask again from your iPhone. Yep. And I'm like, yep. no, I just want you to tell me. Yep. And... It doesn't do that. I don't know if Google has plans to, like, I, I would assume they have plans to um, release their AI features for phone virtual assistants as well and yeah. all their home products. But Apple has, again, the market share for Apple is just massive that if they get something out that is like a, a GPT, a chat GPT equivalent, Apple branded, can you imagine, like, the number of people who are just going to be having conversations to, to their phone, with their phone? Yeah. And and the types of responses that they could get. You know, it's chat GPT, but all audio. I mean, you yeah. can just stand there and ask it questions. But imagine this. So Microsoft is doing it on the Windows platform. Yep. Apple is doing it on the OS platform, Mac OS, iOS, whatever. Yep. I think there's much more deep integrations because Apple develops all of its own apps like the notes app and the uh the iMessages yep. and stuff like that where you know you have to get O365 to get access to like Outlook and Word and stuff like that where you already have a, a subscription now Apple's like network effects or I don't I shouldn't even say network effects but like just stickiness just got a lot better because they can just yes. integrate this AI into existing applications yes. so when you are so instead of going to ChatGPT and writing out like 
are typing out on your phone or on your Mac or whatever, you type out like blah, 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 blah thing. Yeah. Right. Inside of notes or inside of even pages, I know probably nobody uses pages, but whatever. You type out like something and it just auto fills it or it starts working for you right there rather sure. than you needing to go to like Google sure. Bard or yep. Bing AI yep. Yep. or ChatGPT. It just automatically is integrated into your into that. And yep. I wonder if they didn't roll out this this Apple GPT to go with the Vision Pro. Yeah. Because Siri, uh, yeah. Siri is the one that's going to guide the Vision Pro with like going to websites and stuff. Yeah, yep. I'm pretty sure. Yep. And if that's how, if that's the case, and Siri is not seriously upgraded, yeah, that's going to be probably a little bit of a an issue. Totally. There's a bit of a moonshot prediction too, or maybe it's just it's just kind of out out there. Who knows? We'll see where this goes. But I think like the other GPT applications right now, like you just said. They're, they're operating, I would say, largely on desktop machines too, yep. right? Yeah. So people are using these on their computers and their laptops. My question is, do we use laptops near as much and computers near as much as we do today in 10 years? Or is it much more like mobile-based? Is it Apple Vision Pro? Yeah. Is it tablets? I mean, I don't know if it's tablets, but I, I've been reading recently about some people who, it's like they run their entire business off their phone, you know? Yeah. Like that's where they do all their communication. That's where they do all their email. That's where they do everything that they need to do to be productive and get work done in a day mm-hmm. is done on their phone. That's interesting to me because if, if that is the trend that we see and Apple has the AI tools already integrated, and there's extremely already so many sticky out there. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. Well, like I said, moonshot. Okay. Cause there's lots yeah, of things that probably have to line up there, but it's interesting to think about. All right. Should we talk about the VIX? Oh, let's, let's do it. Let's hit on the VIX. So for everybody out there, the VIX is the volatility index. And when it goes up, usually the market is going down because yep. there's a lot of volatility. And usually that's because people are panicking. Yep. People don't usually get really, really excited about good things. They get yep. really, really scared about bad things. Yep. And if you look back to 2020, during the pandemic, you'll see that it shot from probably like 15 or something all the way over 80, which is extraordinarily high and the market fell what was it like 30 percent in 35 percent in just over like two weeks yeah like just, well it was it was no it was closer to like just over a month i think it was like okay. february 22nd till march end of march yeah 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 but anyway so fast and now we have officially hit a low that hasn't that has been like I'm, I'm butchering this wording right now, but 13.5 has not been seen since before the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. So it's, we're probably, yeah, we're three years, three and a half years about. I yeah. Bet. And the, uh, like the article, like meta title, not the actual title, but like in HTML terms, yep. U.S. stocks, 2023 bull market, right? This is like, this is the idea that they're posting here is like, Hey, People are really bullish, yes, which is yes. obvious because the market is up. The Nasdaq 100 is up like 44. percent Obviously, yes. they're bullish. Yes, but that but the volatility on that upward to 44 percent up this year, it's pretty consistent. There yeah. is not yep. a lot of like big down days, big up days. It's just like half a percent, half a percent, down a quarter percent, half a percent three quarters of a percent down half a percent. Yeah. It's like, it's pretty, it's pretty like in line yeah. with yep. like how really markets should be long-term. Yep. Totally. Totally. And again, volatility here is not volatility is going to be a measure of like the dispersion between how high the markets are on one day, how, like how much they increase 7% in one day versus how much they decrease six minus 6% in one day. Yeah. That would be massive volatility because the spread there is huge. What Jacob's saying is like, it's been like, quarter percent, half percent increases yeah. consistently, right? We've not just too, seen a little bit up, a little down, a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down. Now all of a sudden the markets are up 20%, 30%, right? It's yeah. just NASDAQ's up. What's the NASDAQ's up 38.2% year yeah, to date? something the NASDAQ composite. Yeah, it's yeah. over 30 for sure. It's almost, almost 40. The S&P's almost 20. I know that. It, yep. it ha- we had a little bit of a bumpy day yesterday, but today, yep. today yep. we're kind of clawing some of that back, not all of it, but yep, totally. we're up, we're up again today. Totally. So, okay. My, my thought on the VIX here though, is like the VIX is not, um, the VIX is not a gauge of confidence. No, this is a gauge of, uh, investor sentiment or yep. psychology, investor psychology. Cause right now 
it's like investors feel really good about the direction of the markets and feel like the markets are just going to continue on their upward trajectory. And they feel like maybe we're out of the worst of the last three years and now this is just the up and up. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the investors are like confident there's no there's no harm down the road. Yeah. Nothing's ever going to knock us off the horse, whether that's something major or something small. You know, that's that's I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer here. I'm just saying whether it's something big or something small, the VIX is just simply saying right now the volatility is really really low. Yeah. And I'll raise you one. It's not even that they feel a certain way, it's that they felt a certain way. Yes. This is backwards looking. This yes. is not like oh, investors are going to be excited for the next six months. Not even close. This is like investors were excited last month. Right, right. Because I think if I'm not mistaken, this measure is, it's like 30-day options. I think 30-day options, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. So yep. 30 days past, um, past due, essentially. And there are some, like, people are kind of, they don't like the VIX. Yeah. There are people out there that say, like, one-day options um, have distorted some of it and or whatever things. And I'm like, okay, well, regardless of what you think, it's still down. The yep. fact is that this index is still down. Yep. It's good. Totally. Totally. One. Okay. Interesting example. I'm going to take us back to 2020. So 2020 rolls around. Tom and I were working together. Uh, the markets start going berserk the world starts shutting down the yeah. pandemic, you know, the pandemic happens, then the markets start going berserk. You know, you had this, you had this whole, whole series of events that takes place. Um, super interesting. Okay. One, th so one thing that was going on during that time period, um, you know, we, we mentioned the markets were down 35% in like just over 30 days, yeah. somewhere around there. It was, it was like a month's time. Uh, that is a ridiculously fast decline in prices in an extremely, um, a extremely large decline in a very short period of time. Something that drove the downward pressure there was algorithmic tra trading. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So all we mean by that is there were people who were putting in um, sell orders into the computer and just saying, "Hey, if the price of this stock reaches, you know, seven dollars or seventy dollars, let's say instead of eighty where it's trading now, I want you to automatically sell it." Well, guess what happens if you've got Investors who have algorithms that say sell at 70 and then another one says sell at 69, another 68, another 67, another 66, then as these people start selling, it's like a stare effect. The sell that orders just, goes just down. keep going. Right. The sell orders keep going and going and going. Well, what does that create? That creates market volatility. And so what happens with the VIX back in 2020? The thing spikes up like a rocket from, let's see, we were under 20. Uh, well, we were, we were under 20 the beginning of 2020. And then by probably March here or April, yeah. um, it peaked at just over 80. Which is, that is, I think that's all-time high percent. on the VIX. I don't think it's ever been higher than that. Correct. I don't believe it's ever I, been higher. Yeah. And a little bit of market history too for you on the algorithmic trading. So 1987 was, I don't think it was maybe October, Black Monday. This was Black Monday mm -hmm. or something like that, yep. I think. Um, that's what caused that too algorithms were just starting and there was no such thing as a circuit breaker on the exchange. So nowadays, if there's a bunch of panic selling in a stock, like you saw these with like Silicon Valley Bank and, and a lot of that stuff, the yep. circuit breaker, the, the exchange just shuts down trading, stops the algorithms from selling yep, and then restarts, restarts the exchange on that stock. Yep. Right. And usually that like stops the spiral in 1987, they didn't have those. Yep. And so that's how you got that. Like, what was it? Thirty percent in one day, because all of the algorithms, there was nothing to stop them. All yep. of a sudden, it just was like boom, 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 boom. And they all just sold. And they all just sold. Everything Gosh, sold. That's crazy. That's crazy. I wonder what the VIX looked like that day. Oh, jeez, <laughs> not good. But that's I, I, like wrapping the VIX conversation up here too. I, I know it's like the VIX is like you said. The VIX is a, not an indication of <laughs> investor sentiment or uh, investor confidence. It's, it's kind of sentiment. It's sort of what people felt or yeah. feel, and you alluded to it. It's, it's also backwards looking. So sort of like this is what people felt. Um, and you can see the algorithmic trading there. I'm sure people were not expecting that all those algorithms were just going to go da, 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 back in 2020, no. set this whole chain of events off. So that throws the VIX way up there too. And anyways, it's all bad. interesting index to watch though. Yeah. So investors felt good. That's what that means. All right. 
did you miss it? This is a this is a post by Doug Bonaparte. And I think that this this was really good. And I, I even commented on this post. I was like, I've been waiting for a, uh, like a way to say this. And you just gave it to me because I, it was so good. Yeah. I think this is one of the best posts that I have read from a like a personal financial advisor, financial planning perspective. If there was something that I would want my clients to read, I would absolutely have them read this article. Yeah. So if you are one of my clients and you are listening to this, read this article. It's in the show notes. It's in the show notes. It is fantastic. Dig into it. Yeah. So Doug Bonaparte, he's like a big, like, I mean, he actually serves a similar market to us, right? Like, I mean, we're starting to go after the the younger, successful millennials and Gen X and Gen Z, you know, cutting into the, into the market. Like he serves the same type of people, but in New York city. Um, and he has this newsletter called, this is the top. And this one was called, you missed it. And instantly I like, I read, I read the title and I was like, oh, what is he talking about? You missed it. And I mean, I've kind of talked about this where it's like the cash is chasing the returns up and that's why you continue to see higher stock, the, the stock market go higher. But like there was one line in this that I thought was so good. And here, here it is. What you don't want is your excitement around cash yields to prevent you from putting your money to work. So there's for everybody out there, Money markets, if you just have whatever money market, Fidelity has one, Charles Schwab has one, Vanguard has one. There's tons of them out there. Are yielding like four, four and a half, four point eight percent in those ranges. Very nice cash yields, right? So you say like, oh, if I can get four and a half percent on my cash, like what's what's the point in taking risk? We're living it yep. right now with the NASDAQ 100 up 44%. You just underperformed by 40%. And that's what he's talking about here. You don't want your excitement around these 5%, 4.8% cash yields to really distract you from putting your money to work because you'll miss out or you have the oppor- you have the potential to miss out on a market that runs away. Yes. And that's and that's also why you see some of the the chasing of cash this year into the market. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. This is like, I feel like you can sum this up as this. 5% cash yields, that's so good. 20% S&P 500 returns, that's a whole lot better. Yeah, right? yeah. So this is like, not not to say that you should be in one or the other, but again, going back to this idea of good or bad, better or worse. Mm-hmm. Cash returns, cash yields right now are great. I, w- I will absolutely give you that. And for people that we've had, who have cash, like emergency funds, we've said, put it into a money market fund or put it into a high high yield yield savings account. Put it in something that's going to be generating a return. Okay, so if you you, you need to have some cash on the side, so the the real example there, emergency funds, that's what we've told some of our folks to do is just make sure it's generating something. But if you have $100,000 that's just sitting on the side in cash and you don't need that $100,000 of cash, you, you're not planning to put a, a big down payment on a house. You're not planning to buy a boat or a car with cash. You're not yeah. planning to, to do some major renovation that's going to you know use up most of that in six months. Then you might actually just be missing out on one of the greatest. You, you might have just missed out on one of the greatest rallies we've seen in a six-month period of time. Yeah. In, I mean, I, I, I don't honestly know how long <laughs> that time period goes back, but in a long time... We just saw a massive return in six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and it doesn't always go this way, right? Like right. sometimes you win by holding a bunch of cash. 2022, the perfect example. Yep. There was no safe place except for cash. Yep. But like history has shown that just being invested, not going in and going out and coming back in, like you just miss things doing that. Yep. If you're there for the entire ride, the good and the bad, yep. you don't miss anything. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like totally. Just how it works. Yeah. It's just having it's just having a plan and having a purpose for every single dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh so like a lot of listeners probably you you listen to um uh Financial Peace University, you know, the podcast there or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Isn't uh, that Dave uh, Ramsey? Uh, Dave Ramsey, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like a lot of our listeners probably listen to some of Dave Ramsey stuff. Dave Ramsey's got an app out there called Every Dollar. And I love the idea behind it because the idea is every dollar that comes in every month 
you should have a plan for that dollar. Yep. Don't let a single dollar go wasted. I I am 100% for that. And this applies in this example too. Every dollar that you have, whether it's already sitting in a checking account, sitting in an investment account, wherever it is, you should have a plan for every single dollar. And if those dollars should be in a checking account yielding 5%, great. Like put them there and yield 5%. Yeah. But if they should be invested for the next 20 years so that you turn that, that, that you know, $100,000 into two hundred and three hundred and four hundred and $400,000, that's where it should be put. So don't right. miss out on that. And to have the plan to do that. And we practice- to have what, the plan, yep. We practice what we preach too. Like when my check shows up, my direct deposit, yep. like part of that goes to my 401k. Yep. I know instantly how much I'm going to pay, pay down. Like I just use credit cards for all my spending, like debit yep. cards, right? Yep. For the rewards. That's um, right. And then I spend down and pay down all of my credit cards- and I have an automatic, automatic like link between my brokerage account and my checking account that automatically sends a certain amount of money to my brokerage account yeah. every month. Yep. And like I know when my check shows up exactly what I'm gonna do down to the last dollar. Yeah. Yep. And you do the same. Yeah. That's the benefit of automating, right? Yeah. You automate where every dollar should go. So by the time it hits your checking account or it gets deposited, it's like X amount of dollars goes to my 401k, X amount goes to my savings account, X amount goes to my checking account, X amount goes to my brokerage account, yeah. and it gets invested. It makes it so, so simple. And this sounds complicated, but it's not. Once yeah. you get this set up, you only have to, you have to review it. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like take a quarter, take six months. Is it still working? Do you need to change some things? Whatever. Yep. Like. Yep. You don't really have to reset it up once yeah, it's set up. Yeah. And you know where this starts? Like for most people where this is going to start is literally in their employer's retirement plan, like yeah. a 401k. So if you have a 401k and you have actively chosen, uh, I'm going to put 5% here, you're already on the road to automating your financial life. Like that is step one. Yeah. And what, what we help a lot of people do is basically just expand that out and say, okay, you've done step one. Let's do step two, three, four, and five. Let's get those five different areas automated. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's a game changer. It is a game changer. All right, shall we on on Netflix? Oh yeah, and this this yeah, you were excited about this one too. So see, I I and maybe I'll share maybe I'll share some of my like ideas around it. Yep, just around the space in general. But Netflix announced in their earnings report, I believe it was their earnings report, that they added five point nine million subscribers in the quarter, in the last quarter. So in, in Q, would have been two. In Q2, they added 5.9 million subscribers, which is a lot. Yeah. But they huge. already have, I think, probably like, it's like 300 and some million. It's the largest subscriber platform, I don't know, in the world. I don't yep. exactly know. But it's it's uh, it's a lot, and that's a lot. And they're, some of them, they don't say how many, are on the advertising tier. Ah. And I've got some thoughts around this advertising tier okay. and around advertising and, and streaming businesses that I I'm, I don't really know where I'm at because as we said earlier, it's not good or bad or yep. better or worse. Yep. I have to know what's already priced into it. I don't yep. know what's priced into Netflix, folks. Like it's really hard to get niched down to a single stock to know what's priced in. But here here are my thoughts. Yeah, I'm like, work out your thoughts right here. Work out your thoughts with us. Um, so if you think about this, you... Before, before there were uh, advertising tiers on Netflix and Disney and stuff like that, you paid, maybe it was like $12 a month, let's just say. And they wanted to get as many subscribers as fast as they can. That was the business model. And that was what investors wanted them to do, right? If you were in, in the public market, you just wanted to see that subscriber count go up. Now, the problem was, I think they thought that at a certain point, they could just turn off the subscriber growth like the, the subscriber growth channels and that they would be profitable. The problem is they weren't because the subscribers demanded high quality content, but high quality content isn't funded at $15 a subscriber. Yep. It, if you think about this, if you want Disney, like really high quality Marvel movies, you have to either pay more or you have to let the advertisers fund it. Yep. Because that's how the that's how the cable business works. Like you have to have advertisers that fund the quality content, yes. and that's kind of like the idea around like this paid advertising tier. And I ha I have a hunch that they won't even allow ad free tiers at some point. 
Hmm. I think what they did, and I think this is a kind of the strategy. This is what I'm kind of piecing together. I think maybe they said, we're going to crack down on password sharing. But before we do that, we're going to, we're going to, uh, add this ad tier to it. And it's going to be, it's going to be cheap. We're going to have it 699. That's the ads. That's the ad tier. And then we're going to hope that these subscribers who are just sharing passwords and doing all these things, we're going to start cracking down on those. And we're just going to hope that they're still want to watch Netflix and we're going to get a bunch of new subscribers, but they're going to be on the ad tier, which in 2017 or 2016 Hulu said that it's $2 a month ad tier service was its most profitable service. And Netflix now is doing that. Disney is doing that. Peacock yeah. already has a 50% subscriber base that's yeah. ad tier. Yeah. HBO Max, I think, is doing it. Sure. All of these things are doing it. And I think at some point they're going to say, no more ad-free tiers because it's not profitable. Unless, and what how they're going to do this too, is they're going to say, what is the equivalent of an advertiser. What's the spread between an advertiser and having having one or not having one? Yep. And if you have six ninety nine, and then the advertiser per, pays forty dollars to get your views, yep. something like that, yep. Yep. then you have forty nine dollars a month, right? Yep. And then you have so that that means like somebody would have to pay forty nine dollars a month, right, to get access to get ad free viewing. Yes, which is an outrageous number if you think about like even cable cables. You right. know, super expensive, and it's like if you want one channel without ads, that is high. Yeah, that's that's my thoughts. That's yeah, dude. That's that's. Uh, I think that's an extremely good hot take. And and your point about Hulu there is is to say too that like Hulu wasn't that wasn't Hulu's most profitable tier because they had massive subscriber amounts. Yeah, it was profitable because they had advertiser. Mm-hmm. That's what led the profitability. Yeah. yeah, and and the the next little conundrum that they're gonna run into is if they don't get enough because Netflix and Disney have the highest percentage of non-ad tier subscribers. Yep. You know, they're like 90% or higher is ad free. Yep. And they have to figure out how they're going to convert those people yep. to these ad tier subscribers without losing them. Yeah. And they have to figure out how to get advertisers to place on the 10% of their viewers that they do have it because advertisers are going to say, no, I'm not going to place ads on Disney Plus because you don't have any ad viewers. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? I'm not yep. going to put my yep. put yep. my money yep. there. Totally, totally. I'm going to tell the truth here because I, uh, I well, Fate and I, we are one of those statistics for uh, the Uh-oh. 5.9 million subscribers to Netflix this month uh, or this quarter because yeah. we we sure enough we were um, using an account and uh, there we go. We got the, we got the boot and then. We paid to get on another plan. We're not on the ad-free plan, though. We are. We are on. Well, like, or, excuse me. I'm sorry. We're not on the ads plan. We are on the ad-free plan. Yeah. But yeah. No, I think that's a really that's a really good take. And who knows? Maybe this uh, this writer's strike might be the nail in the coffin for all of us too. Ooh, wages on go the quality. up. On the quality and and if they're demanding more wages, that money's got to come from somewhere to make. And those. it's going to come from advertisers. <laughs> it's going to come from advertisers. <laughs> All right, and then this is the last thing we're going to talk about, and then we're going to wrap it up. I have no idea how long this episode is because I forgot to start the timer, <laughs> and I have a feeling it's long. <laughs> um, so meta meta threads. We're just going to bring this up again one last time. Yep. Maybe the last time. Yep. It's so nice because you don't have ads. That's one of the that's one of like the benefits of being on Threads right now is yep. there are no ads. But that is like the major thing that Meta needs to do next to actually turn on the the growth machine for the entire business, right? They yep. have to actually do it. And I have another, I kind of have another hot take about about this, right? Like all social media exists just to to show you ads, right? If it's free for you, you are the you are the uh, the product, yeah, right. Um, and so like. I kind of manage some of the Fiel Capital ad stuff, like we dabbled in it i'm by no means an expert so if you know an expert but the most knowledgeable on the team if you know an expert shoot us a message because i will probably talk to an expert about some of this stuff we actually actually have it on our board to talk to an expert about some of this stuff but like if you go into the business suite it's so nice to manage an ad campaign there because you can say like oh yeah place this i want yeah place this on facebook place this on instagram now hopefully and you can do like whatsapp and you can do like messenger and you can do those type of things too. Yep, yep. But now like think about this, you go, all right, place it on threads too. And I don't need Twitter because Twitter, like Meta's algorithm for ad placement is much better than Twitter's. It's yep. demographics, like selection and targeting is much better than Twitter's. Now in this article, we have linked to uh, Big Tech by Alex Kantrowitz. 
Um, he, there's, I think one of his guests or something on here was like, people are going to stop spending on Twitter and switch all the way to threads. I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second part of that line was like, because why would you pay, um, why would you pay, you know, more to target the same audience? It's like, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. It doesn't really matter like that you're targeting the same audience. You're always trying to target the same audience. Like yeah. your market is your market. Yep. Right. It matters how many times your audience's eyeballs sees your stuff. Yes. Right. Because if you're on, if let's just say Dan Schuster uses Facebook, he uses Instagram, he uses threads and he uses, let's just say he, let's throw it out there. He uses TikTok. Yep. Right. Me as Fiel Capital says, oh, I am targeting people like Dan. Right. Then I say, if he's on these three platforms, I don't, we can't advertise on TikTok, but like, let's just say he's on these three platforms, 75% of his social media time. Now, if 75% of his social media time, if 25% of the time he's shown a field capital ad, hopefully at some point he converts, right? It doesn't yep. matter. Your audience is always going to be the same. It just matters how easy it is for you to place ads in front of them yep. and where the audience actually exists. Yep. And apparently people are pounding down the doors on Zuck to add what ads on threads. Yeah, because they want the, 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 um, the sellers, the businesses, and the people who yeah. are selling products want to get to threads. Yeah. They Which want to get to sense. the threads audience. Yeah. And I think that there there could be a very interesting way to do ad placements or a creative way to do ad placements on threads. Sure. That is different than Twitter. Twitter, it's the same thing as as on any platform, right? You yep. have the a, usually a picture and some text and a link going somewhere, right? Yep. Yep. Now, I don't exactly know how this works, but I'm sure it's going to look pretty similar in the end. Yeah. But like, could you imagine like just scrolling on a Twitter like platform, but seeing like an ad that isn't this like picture with link? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like there could be something there. What 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 would what would it be? I mean, like you'd still get directed, but you just get you just get placed into the platform more, or maybe you get placed to send them. I don't really know. I don't. Sure. I'm not. Sure. I'm not a. I'm not a master at this. Zuck, hey. Zuck you can kind of think. I think we need That's a different. We need a different ad experience. Yeah. Than what we have now. Sure, you sure. Know? I don't know. Yep, I, th- I feel yep, like we need yep. a different ad experience. Yeah. Something that's a little bit less obvious as an ad. Yes. Yep, the next evolution of ads. That's great. Yeah, I want my ads to still make me laugh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, any final words, Dan? I got no final words. Yeah, I know I kind of I hit you with all this advertising stuff right at the end, but it's, it's all this stuff. I'm kind of really interested in just like the, the media company businesses yes, right now. Yes, the ads is not my strong suit for anyone listening who couldn't tell that ads are not my strong <laughs> suit. <laughs> well, that's all right, Dan. You, you, got it, you got it good enough. You're just providing me with the business strategy that I can place into ads. That's so right, that's right. That's why I'm here. We work as a good team. That's right, that is why I'm here. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll wrap it up here. We hope you have a good rest of your week. Any questions, comments, feedback, email us at laminatemoneypodcast at vlcapital.com.